0: Thanks, Joel. You can open your Bibles to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. It's good to be together. Let me look at your smiling faces today. Good to see everybody here. And we're actually going to look at the entire chapter. Normally, we just look at a verse or two, but that's why I'd like for you to have it open so that you can uh, uh, you could take a look at all the different verses. So whether you open your Bible or turn your Bible on, whatever you do, get your Bibles open to John 21. I'm going to ask everybody at home to do the same. And like I said, just open your Bibles and remove the distractions, and let's just spend the next couple minutes in God's Word together, uh, looking at it, and it's good to gather the Sunday after Easter, and as I said at the beginning of service, Jesus is still alive. Jesus is alive, and just like He did back then, He shows up in our lives in various places and in various ways, and so let me ask you a question. How would you feel today if Jesus showed up at your lunch after church? Wow, right? That'd be, now I know He's always with us. I know that. But I mean, He actually showed up to eat with you. How would you feel? That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? What if He, when He showed up, started pointing out and sharing with everybody around you the biggest mistakes you've made in your life? That would become a nightmare uh, rather than a dream. And, um, but you know, that's what Jesus does in our passage of Scripture today. In John chapter 21, he's going to show up and make one of his many post-resurrection experiences. But this one's important because he's actually showing up in the life of Peter. And so we know that Peter, before this, before the cross... He denied Jesus three times. So Peter thinks it's over. You know, there's really nothing nothing left here. Um, I've denied Jesus, and, and so I guess I'm done. The beautiful thing is, though, that Jesus wasn't done with Peter. And so he comes and he shows up in Peter's life, and he's been doing it for a while now because even in Mark 16, 7, when the angel is telling him, go, go tell about the resurrection, says, but go tell the disciples and Peter. And Peter. I know Peter failed. I know he made a big mistake, but, but he's not counted out. But he feels like he has been. So he's just like, you know what, I'm going to go back fishing. A few of the disciples go with him. And so in John 21, he finds himself fishing with a number of the disciples, and what's beautiful is... Jesus is going to show up in their life and he's going to reenact what he did early in his ministry when he first called them to follow him. So it's kind of a part two because we've heard this story before where Jesus meets them and helps them catch some fish. And so we see this and he's going to redo it again because he wants to remind his disciples, I called you once and my gifts and callings are without repentance. You're still called. And so in verse 4, Of John 21, it says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. We learn something in this story And uh, I love it because it's this. Whenever the disciples obey Jesus, there's always an abundance. There's always fruitfulness. Jesus teaches them, and we talked about this last week, that on the last night of Jesus' life, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So as long as the disciples were obedient as long as they listened, as long as they were close to Jesus, abided with him, they caught a lot of fish, right? It seems like these dudes weren't very good fishermen, right? I mean, every time they show up in the Bible, they don't have any fish, but when they listen to Jesus, they have fish, and there's a lesson for us there to stay connected to Jesus. Peter realizes it's Jesus at this point, and he is so moved in, in a moment of passion, because that's how Peter reacts. He He jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore and he falls at Jesus' feet. The rest of the disciples are left to bring in the big catch of fish. And so Jesus is there on the shore with a fire cooking the fish, giving them breakfast, reminding them of their call. Look, you're not meant to fish for fish anymore. And guys, you're really not that good at it anyway. So why don't you go and fish for some men? Go back to the calling I placed on your life, and now this is where the story gets really interesting. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Look at that question that Jesus asked him. Peter, do you love me more than the other guys? It's a question of comparison, and and Jesus has been, or excuse me, Peter has been the leader of the disciples throughout the Gospels. He's going to be a leader in the early church. He's going to be the one that the Holy Spirit chooses to preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost. Paul will call him the apostle to the Jews. He is going to be the leader of the early church, and, and yet there's this big problem. He had denied Jesus, and in his mind, it was all over. And what Jesus does is he's like, okay, Peter, we're going to reconstruct this. And if you remember when Jesus told Peter, listen, you are going to deny me. What does Peter say in Matthew 26, 33? Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter, do you love me more than these? He's reminding Peter of what Peter said. Peter, do you remember when you told me that if everybody else denied me, you wouldn't deny me? Do you remember that you denied me? Ouch. Then in verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Once again, Jesus asks the question. And even if you've never heard this story before, you know this isn't the last time Jesus is going to ask the question, because he is in the moment of this play with uh, Peter, just like, okay, we're going to have you now tell me that you love me three times, because you've denied me three times, and so we know what's going on here, but there's something interesting, and I want to share something with you, and I I normally don't dig this deep into it, but I want to do it today, because it really does matter. The Bible, the New Testament, is written in Greek, and so when you look at what Jesus is asking here, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. It looks like Peter is answering in the affirmative, and when you look at the Greek, there are many words for love. Jesus is using the word agape. It's that God love. It's that unconditional love. It's that passionate love. It's that love like 1 Corinthians 13 that knows no boundaries, knows no limits. Do you love me like that? Do you love me like I love you, Peter? Peter doesn't use the word agape when responding to Jesus. Instead, he uses the word phileo, which is the word for friendship love. Not that God kind of love, it's that friend kind of love. You think of the word Philadelphia, that's the, the city of brotherly love. And that's the word that, that Peter is using. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, Jesus, I'm your friend. He's not able to, to say, Jesus, I love you like you love me. In verse 17, the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It says this time that, that he's hurt. In the Greek it would be grieved or full of despair. It's this third time, just like his denial. He denied Jesus three times and now... He's been asked three times, do you love me? But something changes in the Greek here. And what's interesting, it's not Peter who changes, it's Jesus who changes. He asks Peter, are you my friend? He says, yes, Lord, I'm your friend. What's so beautiful about that is that Jesus was willing to meet Peter where Peter was at. He was willing to meet him where he was at. Okay, Peter, are you my friend? Yes, Lord. I'm your friend. If that's where you're at with the Lord today, that's where he'll start. Because he loves you. And you're meant to be in relationship with you. And there's a call on your life, just as there was a call on the disciples' life with the the catching of the fish, reminding them, yes, we are called to be fishers of men, no longer fishing for fish, but we have a call in our life. And Peter is reminded in this passage, yes, I will feed your sheep. I will be your shepherd. I will do whatever you ask me to do because, of Jesus, I'm your friend. Why does Jesus do it this way? Why is it so dramatic? Why is it like this whole Shakespearean play played out? Like, I have to answer three times because I denied you three times. And there's some... Interesting thoughts about this that comes from the author Mark Batterson. And, and Peter is devastated, right? When he denies Jesus, he's just like, he is, he is rocked to his core. He will never forget that moment when he denied Jesus. And, and so what Jesus is doing is he's, he's beginning to change things. So he asked three times because Peter denied three times. So he says, Peter, I just want you to know that I love you and my call on your life, it's not going anywhere. You're still called to feed my sheep. I still love you. I still call you my friend. So that's three times. The other thing that's interesting about this story, when you look in John chapter 21, is that it happens early in the morning or the word would be for dawn. Now, if you remember when Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him, he says, before the rooster crows at dawn. Three times you will deny me. And so, probably every morning, Peter woke up. Every morning he saw the sunrise. Every morning he heard the rooster crow. He remembered his failure. But now, when the dawn comes up, and the new day comes, and the rooster crows, he's not going to remember his failure. He's going to remember that moment on the beach with Jesus The call that was placed back on his life, the love that the Savior gave to him. I mean, everything changes. And I don't know this for a fact, but I bet you on that third time that he said, Jesus, yes, I'm your friend, the rooster crowed. And would remind him from then on that I am called by Jesus. I have been forgiven. I've been set free. I've been put in a new direction. There's something else in this story. It's the fire that Jesus is cooking on. It's a Greek word for a charcoal fire. So it's not a roaring fire. It's like charcoals, like a hot fire that you would cook something on. And the only other time this word for fire is used, it's used outside the high priest's house where Peter denied Jesus. The only other time it's used. So when he would smell that fire, when he would smell that, because obviously you cook on the charcoal all the time in that culture, every time he saw that, he'd probably remember his his denial of Jesus. But now, every time, he'll remember that breakfast with Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. He wanted to come to Peter and say, look, I have called you, and that call has not gone away. I have forgiven you. The beautiful thing about God is he doesn't want to leave us the same. He wants to renew our minds. He wants to change the way we're thinking so that when the devil reminds us of our mistakes, he will we'll remind him, yes, but I am forgiven and I am living a victorious life, an abundant life, a new life. We have to rethink. We have to transform our mind. Because you know what? All Jesus wants is a relationship. And when you have a relationship, he's going to give you a purpose. He's going to give you a call like he did to Peter. I want you to go and feed my sheep. Let me tell you, there is forgiveness on the cross, and there's power in the resurrection, and you are not identified by your past. You are identified by what Jesus did for you, and he wants you to know that so that you can walk in victory. That's what he's doing for Peter here. That's what he's doing for you, and listen, he's going to keep showing up in your life. When you look for him, when you open yourself to him, when you come and worship him, when you pray, when you open his word, he's going to say, look, you belong to me. Isn't that beautiful? Well, the call, though, comes with a warning. And that happens in the next verse. Verse 18 of John 21, Very truly I tell you, uh, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hand and someone will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So, what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, Peter, you know how you said that you would die for me? If you follow me, you will die. You're not going to get out of this one. If you choose to follow me, uh, Peter, they will bind your hands and lead you where you don't want to go. Basically saying they're going to take you to be a martyr. Peter, I know you told me that you would die for me, but if you follow me, you will die for me. We know that at the end of Peter's life, when he is uh, coming to the martyrdom under Nero, and he is going to suffer a crucifixion, the Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that uh, Peter said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. And he asked to be crucified upside down. I mean, a a powerful picture that that Peter, now that you're going to follow me, just so you know, you will die for me. Well, in the next verse, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus' loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? That's John, the disciple John. And Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until we return, what's that to you? As for you, follow me. Here's the young guy, Peter, that's now coming back into relationship with Jesus. And and Jesus says, look, when you follow me, you're going to die. And Peter's like, what about John? Yeah, Does he have to die too? Why do I have to die? What about John? And I love how how, um, Jesus is like, don't worry about John. You follow me. So often we do play that comparison game like Peter did, right? Oh, when it, don't, don't worry about anybody else, Lord. I'll follow you. But then when it gets hard, we're like, hey, why aren't they going through what I'm going through? You know, God, I live for you, and I do this, and they do nothing, and ooh, you know. And, and you know what? Jesus is just saying, don't worry about them. I'll talk to them. I'll take care of them. You follow me. Even if it costs you everything, Peter, you follow me. Don't let comparison kill you. Don't don't just say, "Well, I I'm I, well, I follow God so much better than so and so." So at least no, follow with all that you have. In the Moravian missions movements of the 1700s, uh, young people were so moved to share the gospel that they would literally build a wooden coffin, place everything that they owned into that coffin, and travel to faraway lands to preach the gospel, knowing that they would never return home. And they packed their things in a coffin because they knew wherever they're going, that's where they'll be buried. There are two young men that had read about an island and were so moved to go to that island and preach the gospel because no one had ever gone to that island to preach the gospel. But there was no way to get to that island except to sell themselves into slavery and be taken on a ship to that island. And so these two young men sold themselves into slavery, gave away everything that they had, and as they stood on the ship saying goodbye to their family and their church family with hands raised, they said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. For his glory, we give our lives to tell his story. That we will follow Him even into slavery, even into death, whatever the cost. May the Lamb who was slain we receive the reward of His suffering. That Christ and His call are so worthy that we surrender our very life to Him. And that's what Jesus is asking for. It doesn't matter who you are today. Jesus is calling you to surrender your life to him. It doesn't matter if you're hearing this message for the very first time. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, married or single. It doesn't matter if you're mom or dad, grandpa or grandma. It doesn't matter if you're a student or you're a senior. Jesus is saying, will you follow me? Will you give everything for me? Follow me no matter what it costs you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 verse 39 whoever finds their life will lose it and ever who loses their life for me or my sake will find it. So many people are trying to find themselves out in the world and Jesus is saying when you when you do that you're going to lose yourself. But when you lose your life for my sake you'll find it. It doesn't make sense it, it seems backward but that's the truth because Jesus tells us the truth in his word. It's time to stop living this casual Christian life. It's time to say, I will follow you, Jesus, no matter what it costs. I will be obedient. Just like the disciples, when they listened to Jesus, Jesus blessed them with fruitful abundance. And we're called to follow him no matter the cost because casual Christians become casualties. Casual Christians become casualties. You may say, "Well, Pastor Darrell, I'm not a pastor, and I'm not going to be a missionary. and And how does this how does this fit in my life?" Yesterday, we had a, a funeral here. Uh, that's the flowers are left from Julius Carlson, and, and many of you may not know who that is. And the reason is is because he, he actually didn't attend church here. He attended Church at Philadelphia Church in the city for many, many, many years. And and I um, uh, yet we had a good relationship with him. He traveled with our missions teams. Uh, his kids came to church here. All the so the relationship is there. They've moved far out west, so this was kind of a central location, and the family asked if if we would do the service, and we said absolutely, because Julius had done uh, over two dozen trips with Lars and our missions team to build churches around the world, and and even after he got uh, so old he couldn't travel, uh, he never stopped giving to missions. That was just something that, that we could count on every month that he'd send money uh, to missionaries, and so we were able to do the uh, funeral yesterday. A few of you were here for that funeral, but what struck me in that funeral is this is a man who uh, came to church different times because when they would go to the mission field, we'd pray over them, and so and he'd be in service. We had a missionary or something, but you would never know him. He was quiet. He would have never stood behind this pulpit and say a word because he, he would have hated that. And even though he lived a, a quiet life, when you listen to the faithfulness of this man, his faithfulness to God, his faithfulness to his family, his faithfulness to missions, not only did he, he make the, the, all those trips over there, he built countless churches and, and orphanages and, and, and touched all of these lives, and he gave everything away. In fact, they, they said, because when he would try to go and build something with his son when, when, when he came home from the mission field, they said, hey, Dad, where's the, where's the good saw? We want to go build something. He's like, oh, yeah, I left that in Haiti. They needed it more than we did. You know, just that kind of giving, that kind of living, that, that even when he couldn't go anymore because physically he couldn't go, he's like, okay, I'm going to write a check and I'm going to give and I'm going to... And, and a man who lived a quiet life and blessed so many... That we, if I hadn't mentioned his name, you may never know who he is, but I guarantee you when he walked through the gates of heaven, there were orphans and people from all over the world that came and gave him a hug and says, because you gave, because you went, because you built, I know Jesus. You don't have to have a spectacular story. All you have to say is, God, whatever you need, I'm here. I will follow you. Whatever it costs me, whatever you ask me to do, I will follow you. That we make that decision that we are all in for Jesus. That I will not compare myself to my neighbor or or anyone. I will just say, God, I will give you everything that I have and I will love you and I will love my family and I will serve you when I go to work and when I go to school, when I'm at home. I will give when you ask me to give. I will go when you ask me to go. Whatever you ask me to do, God, I will do it. And when you lose your life, you will find it. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning. We're just going to spend some quiet moments in prayer as Candace plays, and I'm going to pray for us, but um, I can't make the commitment for you. This is a commitment you have to make yourself, and, and Jesus is asking us today like he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me with all of your heart? Are you willing to follow me? Listen, whatever the past was, whatever you think is holding you back, it's not holding you back. The cross has the power to forgive and set free and make new. The power of the resurrection gives us the abundant life and the eternal life that Jesus promises. Stop looking for your life in this world. Lay it down. And when we lay our life down, that's when you're going to find it. And just like with Peter, I want to tell you, Jesus is so gentle. When he shows up, he will meet you where you're at. He will meet you. No matter if you can just say, Jesus, I just want to be your friend. He will meet you there. But let me tell you, this is not a casual relationship with God because casual Christians become casualties. We're called to lay our life down, to make our lives count so that when it's said at your funeral that your life said, May the Lamb who was slain. Receive the reward of his suffering. Jesus, you are worthy of our lives and so much more. And so, Jesus, in these quiet moments, we just dedicate ourselves to you. Jesus wants to hear from you today, so we're just going to give you a minute. And as Candice plays, just offer yourself to the Lord. Offer your love and your friendship. Offer your life. It's just you and God right now. Just offer everything to Him. Jesus, we make a fresh commitment to you today to love, to follow, to obey, to live a life that is close to you. Lord, I pray that uh, we would live lives of faithfulness and obedience, offering you all that we have, Thank you, God, that you take what we have, even if it's little, and you multiply it. Just as you did in Julius' life. You spread his life all over this world and blessed so many. Lord, would you do that with our life? As you did with Peter and the disciples. Thank you, Jesus, that there's no condemnation anymore. We don't have to live in the past, but you call us into a future of following you. So we give our lives to you. And we say, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. We give our life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.